Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 434, and we're going to be talking about Bury Me, My Love. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 434 are Charlotte Cutts. Hello. And John Salmon. Hi. So what is Bury Me, My Love? You may not have heard of this one. Uh, We do like to cover the full gamut of all the different kinds of interactive experience there are out there. And this one is uh, is not a multi-million seller, I don't think, although we have no sales figures, but in the same way that uh, some of the, the bigger, more well-known titles are. This is a reality-inspired game, as it's described by the authors, a documented fiction that draws inspiration directly from real-world events. The original idea stems from a 2015 article written by Le Mans journalist Lucy Souye, telling the story of Dana, or Dana, a young Syrian woman who fled her country and is now living in Germany, where Charlotte lives. Somewhere. It's a big country, obviously. Bury me, my love, is a Syrian goodbye phrase, roughly meaning take care, don't even think about dying before I do, or I suppose uh, I can't bear the thought of living without you in uh, extrapolating. This phrase takes on a deeper meaning as majd, your sort of player character says it to his wife Noor as she undertakes her perilous journey to reach Europe. Game was developed by the Pixel Hunt. I think it was Pladius, the label who distributed it on mobiles, and Plugin Digital have been responsible for distributing the Windows PC and Switch versions. Ducer is Florent Morin, with apologies for my French. Some quotes from Florent. Making Bury Me My Love indeed was a stressful experience. Lots of things to manage, lots of obstacles to overcome, lots of moments when I thought, well, that's it. This time we're never going to make it. So in a way, you could argue that it shared something in common with the game's central theme, but let's not lose perspective here. Making games is a luxury very few people on earth can afford, while being a migrant is a curse that a lot of people can't escape. The author is credited as Pierre Corbinet. Um, I'm not sure what the deal is there. I assume that's the actual writing of the text. So the I know the concept is Morin's and, and he designed and, and was obviously in charge of development. Every interview I've seen is with him. But uh, there is that other credits. And uh, we'll talk about the, the art and the audio separately. As I say, the game came out on iOS and Android first in late October 2017. Then the Windows PC and Switch versions followed in January 2019. Reviews were overall positive with 73% of reviewers recommending the game has a 75% rating on OpenCritic. Some nominations for awards. The Game Awards had it in their list for Games for Impact. It was also nominated for GDC, IMGA and BAFTAs. User reviews on Google Play are very healthy. 4.5 stars from over a thousand users. App Store, only 36 user reviews, which is weirdly low, but it has a slightly lower, but still healthy 4.1. Steam has a mostly positive rating from just 25 people. And the Nintendo Life Score from users, I don't know how many users this is, but enough to give it an average of an odd amount of 5.6 out of 10. Uh, but there may be reasons behind that score being lower, which we'll get into. But now it's time to hear from John and Charlotte. John, first, did you play this game nearer the time or were you interested in it just for coming on this show? Uh, no, I played it 
I can't remember either last summer or maybe the previous year. Um, I can't remember exactly where I heard about it from. I think just general word of mouth from a few other um, sort of gaming outlet discussion kind of places. Uh, I remember it coming up a bit on one of the giant bomb end of year shows. At least one person talking about how much they played okay. it and was, you know, it was important to them. Uh, again, brains like absolute crap. I can't remember who it was <laughs> who said any of this stuff. But uh, yeah, so I was on it not that long afterwards. Um, I've only played through it a few times. I mean, we'll yeah. get on to this, and I haven't really done a huge amount of research into exactly what the the sort of the different end game situations are. Yeah. But I've done, I did when I played it last year. I think, or previously, I think I did two sort of long form playthroughs. And this, I mean, po- point out this was on um, on a mobile device, so. This the game essentially plays like a series of text messages that have uh, sort of real world time between them. Yes. Like you, you do such and such, have a section of a conversation, and then it might be. It's normally, I think, you can adjust it, but the average time between sort of sets of conversations for me was probably three or four hours. Mm. There are definitely a few places where I think the game. Uh, deliberately takes considerably longer than that to make you think more about it and to make you start worrying about why haven't you heard back yet i think the the real-time text thing is brilliant and i totally think that is probably the canonical way to play however i I would say i think there's something intense about the continued version it it kind of really seems to ratchet up the yeah the intensity whereas with the waiting for nor to reply thing i totally get that it would realistically like we've all been there right in the modern world we've been waiting for a text from someone we care about and they and it hasn't arrived and it's for whatever reason even when they haven't been doing something potentially life-threatening and the idea that the game can replicate that is one thing but of course because you do know it's a game i wonder if it is possible you're not you're not literally hanging on that next text like you would be if it was a real person so it doesn't quite have the same impact in that respect you're not you're not thinking for the next eight hours oh my god when is Noor going to get back to me but maybe it is playing on your mind you could tell me because i haven't played it that way yeah it, it also has kind of an opposite effect of that where you know you're just doing you're going about your day-to-day life and yeah. your phone buzzes in your pocket and you think well that could be anything i kind of don't want to pull my phone out right at this moment and find some <laughs> yeah. you know the next five minutes going to be consumed with some horrible conversation about you know, trying to sneak yeah. through a minefield. Or and something. if you really were managed, you wouldn't have that luxury, of course. No. Uh, and in um, fact, you'd be desperate to pick the phone up. Oh, God, so. of course. You'd be, you'd be, you know, freaking out the entire time. I don't know if there's any points in the in the game where it literally just stops. You know, it finishes with a conversation where you say, you know, I'll, I'll speak to you later. And then it just <laughs> never comes. I, I don't wow. think that they do that. It seems a bit unfulfilling. So. But- no, I believe every every all of the 19 endings, and we should issue a spoiler warning, although you can imagine uh, this game only takes between sort of one and three hours to play through whatever your uh, whatever the outcome. And you can imagine that all of the 19 endings are based on real refugee experiences. So... If you can imagine it or you've read about it, it'll probably it'll probably happen to Noor, depending on your your decisions. Yeah, so I've I've had three full playthroughs that I think have all mm-hmm. ended up in different places and certainly had oh, a lot great. of differences along the way. And then one mm-hmm. fairly short one. But the problem is because it was quite a long time ago, I can't remember all of the details about the previous. But 
this one sure. from this week and the most recent one before because you can go back and look at it you know I, I loaded into the game a year later and it still has all of the previous dialogue choices that you can go oh, through and read. okay that's quite cool so i yeah. had a look at that one and figured out what happened there and what went wrong but yes the other two are a little bit more lost to time unfortunately Okay, yeah, and of course uh, th we will discuss later the actual, uh, as it was uh, raised in in one of the reviews. I think it was Vicky Blake's in Eurogamer. The actual, the concept of replaying this game, and, and is that a comfortable idea even in itself? Because obviously it's about this situation where there are no re redos, do overs, and whatever. So yeah, Charlotte, uh, what's your history with Bury Me, My Love? I don't really have a huge amount of history with the game, to be honest. Um, I'd heard of it before, um, and I was very interested in playing it for the podcast, but I didn't really have much of a, no. a background. Um, so I played my first playthrough about two weeks ago, and I just took my time with it over an evening. And then I also played it another two times today, and I deliberately mm, wow. tried to different options to see where that would take me and i was of course i was yeah. pleasantly surprised that the things that i thought would result in a dead end for example mm. did not result in a dead end like it wasn't a very predictable game which sort of makes sense because these are sort of life or death decisions that somebody is taking yeah. you know in very intense sort of situation and what counts as danger is not always obvious um we, we can get into this a bit more later but for example i feel like the fact that, because on one of my playthroughs, I, um, Noah was going on a boat, which is a uh, typically quite, uh, you know, stressful sort, like treacherous sort of situation. Yeah. And I thought that leaving it to buy a life vest on the boat was the more dangerous thing to do because they might run out of life vests. And it seems as though actually, if I'd have if I'd have bought one, it might have been like if I'd have bought one in the town, it might have been confiscated, and then. Mm. I might have not had a life mm. vest because yeah. me leaving it to buy it on the boat actually resulted in me surviving uh, yeah. the, the boat trip. So yeah. things like that were really a, a genuinely pleasant surprise when I was playing through it and felt very authentic. So yeah, the fact I really appreciated the fact that I played it three times and I had three very unique experiences Cool. Um, every single time. Like there was bits... I think the bit where there was the march to Hungary from mm -hmm. at Belgrade, I experienced that every single time, but it diverged a lot. So, mm. yeah, I definitely had that. Uh, that march was in my most recent playthrough. And is the boat bit you're talking about was that between Greek islands or from Turkey to Greece or somewhere like that? That was from Izmir to Lesbos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I I had that in the previous playthrough that I did last year. That I I remember that very well. That's mm. a horrible scene. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Charlotte. Just to say uh, for listeners who aren't aware, sort of visual, not or novels or interactive stories, interactive fictions. One of your kind of favourite genres. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would say so. I mean, less recently, I'd say I've been playing a lot of. Uh, been playing Assassin's Creed lately, so right. I've gone a bit away from the visual novel um, as aspect of things because also because I've played a, a couple of stinkers recently. All right, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but but yeah, um, it's been a favourite in the past anyway. Something yeah, that you've enjoyed. Yeah, uh, Florent Morin said to Polygon about putting the game together as European citizens: "What is our responsibility in all this?" 
This is an important question, especially in the light of the current rise in xenophobia worldwide. As storytellers, we felt compelled to share and convey them. We'd love our players to realise that they've got a lot more in common with those two young Syrians than they might think. But we're not trying to brainwash people into thinking that every single migrant is the nicest person they'll ever meet. It's a bit silly to admit, but the greatest epiphany I got from the documentation we gathered and the interviews we did is that migrant is not a monolithic category. Contrary to what one may think, looking at the images that are often being shown on TV, those are individual human beings. Some are great, others, others less so. They will have qualities, flaws, hopes and dreams. Yeah, we've sort of already touched upon this, but uh, from uh, from what we've said already, you'll have gathered that this uh, game is starts and is set in the Syrian civil war, which started in 2011. I won't attempt to give you a potted history. Uh, I'm not in a position to do so, but uh, I have done some reading. And although I'm not an expert, uh, it's an extremely complicated situation, but it involved the rising up of rebels against uh, state oppression. And then uh, a lot of different factions got involved and much of Syria has turned into a, a guerrilla warfare zone. And uh, many people have yeah, been displaced, if not killed. Bearing Me My Love tells the story of Syrian refugee Noor and her husband Majd, as we said, as Noor undertakes a perilous journey to safety in Europe. It's a text messaging adventure game about the Syrian migrant Noor trying to find her way to Europe. Germany and, uh, specifically is, is her target. But of course, it's not always straightforward to get to where you want to go. Her husband Majd remains behind in Syria, communicates with Noor through a messaging app, advising her as best he can so that she reaches her destination safely. From an interview with GI.biz, Florent Moran again said, Bury Me My Love was developed with a very particular goal in mind, to push back against the dehumanising rhetoric towards refugees from the far right. I'm completely positive that our game is political, but the statement we're trying to make in the game is that migrants are humans, which should not be considered as a political statement. It should be considered as a human being statement. Bury Me My Love is more of a reaction to the fact that I myself, who has never voted for the right, was not immune to this way of seeing the world, he says. It's there in the media, even in moderate media. It is there. That has an action on your subconscious and it changes you and the way you view human beings. So I just felt that we could do something, tell a story that is coming from somewhere real that could shine a light on this other way to show reality. Yeah, there's, there's a point in this which I experienced earlier this afternoon where I'd had absolutely nothing but uh, sympathy and best wishes for both Noor and Madge and as a as an extension sort of all of the other refugees that they've met along the way and you know, everybody in the real world that you hear about you see something like this and think oh man these people are just they just need someone to to pay attention to them and you know being uh, this sort of just completely outspoken right-wing attitude towards you know all these people are just foreign scum who don't deserve mm. to be here is just disgusting. But, you know, as almost a, a sort of a sticking the knife into me, I don't know whether this was something, you know, a result of something that I'd done. You know, maybe maybe I was just a really bad madge towards the end of this mm. playthrough because it certainly seemed to start going sour partway in. Um, and I don't know, I have a horrible feeling that it might be that I'm mid-30s going on 60 and I don't understand <laughs> what different emojis mean. And I may have been using emojis that I thought were just kind of a, 
a sort of a sigh and an oh no kind of face that actually right. would, would, might have been conveying something very sarcastic or conveying mm. that I was angry with Noor or something mm. because it, as the game went on, the messages from her seemed a bit more kind of up in the air and there was certainly less like little kissy faces that used to come through at the sure. beginning of it and less less sort of I'll speak to you tomorrow and stuff. Lots of things just kind of petered out. And the, the very end of this, um, she managed to get a ride in a car with an Italian woman who was going to take her from, I think, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in oh, Croatia, Croatia down to a port city. And it just, it happens. She sends you a message and she says, Madge, I've done something terrible. And she tells you that she she just stole all of these women's um, documents out of the glove box in her car with like completely yeah. unprompted. And yeah. I looked at that, I thought, Oh man, that's that's not the no that I thought I was talking. Happened to, to me as well. I, yeah, I assume it, it was uh, again. I assume that's based on one of the anecdotes that the fiction is based on. Um, it's somebody who does something out of kind of a moment of out of character desperation yeah, it's that like they would never of, normally do. Yeah, yeah, I can do yeah. this here, and yeah, yeah I'm not going to say that she deserved to get caught and get thrown into a camp somewhere in. Um, in Croatia for this but mm. it, as soon as it happened I knew oh this is where the game's going to finish isn't it like this is this is definitely going to turn out badly mm. and this is going to be the downfall of this and it was after having you know such a positive outlook on all of this I re I almost felt like I'd been betrayed by this character who I thought I knew better than that it's it was well, a really weird feeling to have in that, that sense I think the get it, I think the game is as much, or not as much, perhaps, but it is. I think it is a relevant thing. It's also a kind of game simulation about a modern relationship that operates, as many of them do, kind of largely through text messages. Mm. And although you don't have the same level of granular control over what you type, and I'm sure that people who you know struggle with the written word probably have more misunderstandings and issues over text than than those who are kind of blessed with the uh, with the, the ability to really express themselves but yeah the amount how many how many uh emojis or even just short texts have been taken with completely the the tone that they weren't with which they weren't intended uh you know how many times have you said you've had to follow up with you know a winky face or a, or joking or you know something mm. like that there's there's a whole a sub game here almost but but obviously completely in, entwined with the main story which is your this is husband and wife and they're now suddenly leading a a long distance relationship and a very fraught one in extremely testing times and yeah of course you're going to you're going to get things wrong and as we get into the mechanics we'll find out that there's actually more going on behind the game than i thought i thought it was simply branching paths of choices but there is actually a bit more to it going on based on your responses and things well it's mm. it's interesting that we've all shared quite a few of the same points because those yeah, things that yeah. we've mentioned the, the italian woman the march through serbia there's a bit yeah. where she's running through the forest at night in i think it's from the turkish border to somewhere else um i think yeah. it's to get from turkey into bulgaria that i saw that section twice mm, yeah the bit with the boats they all feel like they're a reasonable way along this path and i thought that it would have branched a bit more, but I'm I'm kind of surprised that uh, that mm. we've all shared these same things. I think, yeah, yeah. I think though, it's like I managed to get a completely different playthrough for the first 
hour between my mm. first and my second playthrough, but they converged at the same point, which was the march. So I think if you're deliberately going about trying to achieve a different experience, you can go quite a long way without repeating stuff. But it mm. always seems to meet at the same point. Um, yeah, which makes sense. Well, you'd expect yeah. it to be the other way around with a, a game if it branches off like a tree, that the beginning would always be very similar. And then yeah. the, the longer it goes, the more differences you're going to find. I think to an extent it funnels you. I think the game is about 120,000 words long, which is which is quite a few. Sounds like quite a few. But, of course, they were a small team with a limited scope for development. So I suspect that a lot of the experiences are ones that they wanted people to have or at least n try to navigate their way through. Um, so I, yeah, I don't. Uh, uh, one of the issue issues with the game as a game may be replayability. Um, but both that in uh, the fact that maybe there aren't that many different scenarios, and also the fact that the game effectively insists upon you starting all over again, and so you would have to replay large sections that you've already seen and done potentially to take a different branching path, which may not be appealing. Let's talk just quickly. Uh, the audio visual side of this game is arguably less important than it is for a lot of the games we cover, but I still think it's relevant. I mean, you are staring mostly at uh, a text texting WhatsApp style messaging screen, but the game does have these illustrations. If you look at any of the promotional art, you'll see uh, some of that. And most of these are taken from the uh, moments in the game where you send or receive uh, a picture text um, a picture text even that probably makes me sound old just it's just a picture you just sent a picture uh, from your smartphone uh, and these are uh, drawn by Matthew Gooday uh, they are stylized they're not designed necessarily to be you know 100% representational realistic they have a they have a, a, a sort of a, a pencil stroke I, I don't actually know I, I guess they're digital art but they um, they're quite uh, they're not sort of hyper detailed but then they're not completely abstract either um and they have quite a soft sort of uh, generally apart from some of the maybe some of the the more vibrant and picturesque places that nor visits uh, they tend to be of a fairly muted but not not ugly palette at all i thought they were pleasant and effective i think it would be weird if the game had kind of either i think if it had like incredibly ornate um you know artsy uh like super high level kind of hyper realistic art i think that would probably feel weird and inappropriate personally for me but i did wonder about a version of the game where it actually used photographs i suppose that the i mean the vast majority of the pictures that i saw during the times i played were essentially selfies mm -hmm. uh, from mm -hmm. both of the characters there were very few landscape shots or anything like that that i remember so i mean i suppose you could do proper photos with a couple of models and a lot of them were indoors or in fairly nondescript locations so i don't think it would be that difficult to no. to recreate could, a lot of these you could do photoshop for you know certain things actually use the real real life scenarios and and photoshop the actors the, who they would cast over the you know maybe the subject of a photo if it's a, a library picture or something like that i did i did think about that I wonder if that would make yeah. it feel maybe a bit more insensitive, though, having Yeah, but also more realistic and more identifiable. Yeah, maybe. Also more identifiable. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I quite like the fact that it was sort of almost not, not washed out, but you know what I mean? Quite sort of 
soft focus style drawings because yeah. it sort of to me sort of emphasized that this could be anybody like it's it's sort of noah could be any you know fictional person right. out there in the world including you or me depending on how world events go um and it added to the fact that there was a lot of unexpected characteristics you know stereotypical uh sort of Things weren't there. For example, Noor is a doctor in Syria and uh, her husband, Majd, is a history teacher. So it's sort mm -hmm. of like the fact that it's kind of very soft and sort of almost like, you know, you can see the picture of Noor in your head, but it's almost like a description yeah. of any sort of yeah. migrant rather than a very a specific, specific person. person. Yeah. Yeah. I think mm. either could for me I think either could have worked and but yes I think this approach if if you weren't going to use photographs I think this approach makes more sense than a kind of halfway house yeah between you know somewhere mm. where where it was art but it was designed to look like photographs if you see what I mean yeah I I I loved the art style I thought that was, it was very striking it was kind of unexpected in a way that along the journey she saw beauty spots and areas where yeah. yeah. So she saw really nice stretches of beach and then occasionally there'd be bit piles of rubbish. For example, in, in Greece, she saw like, you know, really beautiful island scenes, but then there would be rubbish from all the migrants who'd passed through. And it's sort of like, you don't stereotypically think that somebody who's on a migrant journey is going to see all these beautiful places. But then when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Like she's passing through mm. some absolutely fantastic scenic yeah. countries, but just having a really tough time doing it. She sort of jokes about it being on holiday early yeah. on, and uh, and again, I know uh, we're, we're going to hear from uh, a steam reviewer later who who says that they were uh, a Syrian migrant and they weren't happy with these aspects of the game. But it did actually, I, I again, I thought, and obviously, if you have em the ability to empathise, of course, I put myself thinking, imagine if this was me and my partner, of course, she'd be doing. She'd be going to the beach for a swim when she could and stuff like that. You know, she's still a, she's still a human being. It's not like a. Yeah. It's that sort of. It reminded me a little in in the in the world of mental health, the idea that if you are a sufferer of depression, you're kind of expected to look sad all the time, as mm. if that's how depression works. And similarly, if you're a refugee migrant, you can only uh, look, you know, like permanently uh, dishevelled and distraught. And um, I mean, I've certainly seen, you know, talking about the right wing rhetoric and, and stuff that you'll see in the Daily Express and stuff like that, where they'll use a picture of a migrant with a nice pair of sunglasses and a mobile phone and a smile on their face and somehow suggest that that doesn't mean that their situation is valid, um, which is absolutely the kind of, you know, one of the dehumanizing uh, or yeah, uh, othering tactics that... Um, those sorts of organs will will use yeah i was i was particularly that's one of the things i was i was especially impressed with by the game is that it, it goes to a lot of very subtle but goes to a lot of efforts to explain how you know when you suddenly become a refugee you don't just suddenly abandon everything that you had in your life before like you're not going to stand there and like sell off all your possessions while everything around you is getting mm. blown to shreds you know so the fact that they have smartphones, the fact that, you know, yeah. they still have a husband and wife relationship where they try to make the most out of it and joke, laugh and joke about little yeah. things and still have their inside jokes. You know, it's like 
from from talking to pe- to to my roommate who who works with migrants that's the impression i get is that you know life continues as normal even when terrible things is happening you still have yeah you know your your creature comforts and you ha- still have your little uh, insider jokes with your friends and family so mm. i respect this game a lot because it it i don't know if dares is the right word but it it really it goes beyond you know saying oh what if these are people these people these people are people to yeah. saying you know these are people with the same concerns as people in non-war torn countries in the sense of for example in my second playthrough uh noah ended up in sweden and she ended mm. up going viral because she was attacked <laughs> by the police in oh, a, a video mm. and basically the prime minister of sweden granted her asylum and sort of made her into a political wow. cause and she dared mm. to say you know i'm not okay with this i don't want yeah. to be a political cause i just mm. want to live in peace with my husband yeah. and a lot yeah. of people would say you know how dare you you know you've been giving this fantastic opportunity and even Madge <laughs> yeah, right. says that he's like this is a p- perfect opportunity yeah. just use it but like mm. she's having real human feelings that like her personal life is being exposed to the world in return yeah. for her safety and you or i would feel totally comfortable saying something like that but apparently because she's a refugee she's not allowed to have those feelings and the game engages with things like that that it it goes a step beyond it it really goes a long way to you know making the point you know these people are exactly the same as the person sat behind the computer or sat behind the phone playing the game and yeah this is this is sort of getting into my personal feelings it's like i don't understand anti-migrant rhetoric because you could easily be in that position. I know it's it's kind of bad to have to, you know, be selfish in order to empathize, but a lot of people have to do that. So if we're gonna talk yeah. in those in those yeah, for this, sure. in those terms, then we can say, you know, any of us could be born in that situation. So it's just luck, isn't it? it exactly. It's a roll of the dice. One I wouldn't normally do this, but one YouTube comment that did stand out to me because um it seems to coming from come from the right place in that they were interested in the game and they think the concept's great. So that would suggest that they don't come from a horrifically toxic point of view, but their take on it interested me just because it's, I just can't get with it at all. So it's somebody called Chu Chin and it's on this GDC uh, talk thread. I had high expectations for this game, but I was so disappointed. In my humble opinion, the writing made the whole thing dull. Your girlfriend, in inverted commas, is so annoying that honestly you hope she will die soon. I was lucky enough to have the best ending in my first play and hated every second of it. You're supposed to help someone running away from war, leaving everything, and you have a spoilt princess who constantly complains about everything. In my ending, spoiler, she was offered a northern country citizenship. Norway, Sweden or Finland, I can't remember, sorry. And help from the government. And she complained first because she didn't have the choice of which country and then complained because it's cold over there. What? <laughs> WTF? The idea was lush. Feeling helpless, helplessness, great. The objective direction, meh. I mean, I know YouTube comments, but um, I, I, I mean, I really like Nora and Majd apart from anything else. Uh, and when she does complain about things, it's se- seemingly always because they're not perfect. And sometimes she says, oh, I'm sorry to keep complaining, but, you know, my shoes have worn out and mm. I haven't had a shower for a month and, you know, and so on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. yeah. I, I get I get where the comment is coming from, because the um, 
there is a sense that you know if you're in that sort of situation you should be grateful for what you get but at the same time I feel like the pandemic has kind of provides another example of this where when suddenly (laughs) the bottom falls out and all the the stuff that you had before is suddenly gone then yeah of course you're going to complain if you don't have you know the the nice things that you had before or you know the pasta you want yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so yeah and generally comments like that are from people who won't have never and won't put up with any minor inconvenience uh, in my experience yeah uh, let's talk a little about the music. It's sporadic. Uh, it comes in at moments of sadness, drama, occasional. I think maybe there's one piece which is kind of a bit more for moments of respite. Um, but there's a there's a selection of pieces by Xavier Collet, uh, mainly guitar driven. Um, and I thought most of these were effective, although um, I now I mean, because the game I did find the game very affecting the sort of imminent drama music, uh, I can already kind of hear the opening notes and the kind of the the rising sick feeling that comes with it. Uh, but I actually thought that piece was just felt a little bit um, kind of, I don't know, it, again, as with the art, I don't think they should have gone like, you know, big bombastic cinematic drama, but, um, but it almost, that piece in particular just almost felt a little in, inadequate for the, gravity of the situation but i'm being picky i think overall it's really you know it's nicely played and um tonally appropriate music yeah i mean it fits in with the scenes that it plays over very well and it's i think uh the idea that i've played this game for two hours in spits and spurts over the course of six days this week that i heard the music tracks kick in maybe three times and it is it is as you say a little bit you hear the beginning of the track playing and you're like, oh, this is going to be an emotional scene and it's probably not going to be a positive emotion. It's unlikely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's not a huge amount of that. I mean, there are a few moments of levity that I found. And- there are, yeah, really are. There's a lot of um, just, you know, cutesy humour between the two and they're never like really soppy either, the couple. They're like, they love each other and, and they make that apparent, but it doesn't get like maudlin i don't think i just wanted to say like with the music i thought it was uh it was very good that it was generally quite minimalistic i think if it was really dramatic overtures during the dramatic moments that would seem a bit off Mm. um one thing though is that um because this is a texting game there are texting sound effects and if you're not playing this with a headset on i had to switch them off because i could tell that people in the next room would go bananas oh yeah Yeah. Yeah. really really loud on the phone as well Um, and there's no in-game volume slider on the phone no it's on or off isn't it yeah Yeah. basically so it was even with my phone on like half um volume they were really piercing noises while okay. it was actually doing the texting. They could have patched that. It's probably not going to happen now. No, but, well, I mean, uh, yeah. it's, it's not a major, major. I like the fact that we come, we come in with these minor technical gripes in the middle of all this talk about human, <laughs> human tragedy. Um, but that's good. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. Um, no, there are, there are some, there are some technical considerations for sure. Uh, Nut Raptor is our first contributor from the forum who says empathy. That's important, isn't it? A key part of being human, the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and imagine, to some extent anyway, what they are experiencing and feeling. But empathy isn't either or. There are degrees of empathy. No one can ever fully appreciate what it is to live another person's life. And it is easier to have empathy with somebody who shares things in common with you. Video games put us in different shoes from our own all the time. 
but usually you're in the shoes of a space marine or other warrior in an unlikely fantastical scenario, rather than the real-life actual situation of millions of people on our own planet in our own current day and age. I don't have a great knowledge of the Syrian refugee crisis. While I might feel sympathetic to the plight of Syrian refugees, it is at a very superficial level and along the lines of, yes, that must be pretty awful for them. But here is the game Bury Me My Love, which has been carefully researched and which is based on the lived experience of actual Syrian refugees. And it puts you right in their shoes. And the game makes you empathise with them and share in their hopes, their fears and their moments of both success and failure. Noor and Majd are professionals. I'm a professional. They care about each other. I care for my loved ones. They make dumb jokes to each other. I make dumb jokes all the time. But perhaps the biggest and most ingenious thing that the game does to make Noor and Madge relatable and to engender empathy for them is in making the interface entirely through text messaging. In the modern world, what is more relatable than text messaging? Noor and Madge send emojis, selfies and make jokes about their typos. This does more than anything else to elevate them from being faceless refugees to being relatable human beings. I've played through several times and I've encouraged friends and family to play through as well. The simplicity of the interface means that anyone can play through it. We've shared how our journeys went, some ending in tragedy, others with at least a degree of success and optimism for the future. My favourite bit was Nur's stint working on a goat farm near the French-Italian border. I'm still no expert on the Syrian refugee crisis and I still don't really know what it is like to go through that experience, but I know more than I did and I have more empathy for this situation than I did before. I didn't get the goat farm. Yeah, I never never got anywhere near France. Oh, I almost got into France, but I had I had my first playthrough. I got to Italy with barely any hiccups, and then I tried to cross into France at least twice and got bounced back, and then I I stopped in Italy. Uh, Yeah, we'll come back to that because that's how my second game ended. My my first was brief and ended in tragedy. My second was really long and ended in a bittersweet modicum of success, arguably. Mm. <laughs> uh, there's an interactive prologue. I only discovered this today. You can actually play the first part of the game for free on the internet at burymemylove.art with an e.tv slash prologue. It's set in September 2015, which is uh, six months around before Noor decides to leave, or it's actually the mo- the prologue is the moment where she decides to leave, which is uh, when her sister is uh, in involved in an explosion. Um, and it happens in the phone version because it certainly starts in September. It mentions it, yeah. But mm. the prologue uh, covers the sort of hours before it. Oh, okay. So it is a considerable yep. expansion it is, on that. It, it's a half an hour chapter, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This yeah. was like two minutes uh, of them talking about a bombing. Yes, and uh, and explains a little bit more about uh, Doctor Suleiman and uh, and Majd. Um, gives you a little bit more context. I was also pleased and impressed with the writing in the sense that, as playing nominally as Majd, the husband in a marriage, um, I never felt. Although Majd sometimes is a little kind of um, because you know he's a teacher and it's obviously a slightly nerdy, stuffy kind of character, albeit a likable one. I think it obviously Noor is relying on Majd at times and needs his 
his advice and his uh, his internet skills at times, not because she doesn't have them, but because he's sitting there in front of a laptop with presumably with a wired connection rather than her sketchily going around on a um, on a SIM card and a, and a mobile uh, with you know battery considerations and whatever else. But also, um, obviously, as a as a partnership, as you as you do in a relationship, you know, you want each other's advice and support. She doesn't. I never felt like I was um, mansplaining, like as matched. Um, and maybe on the rare occasions where he does, you know, you have to pick a line that feels a little bit like that. Uh, Noor's like a really, you know, feisty character, and she won't. She she is absolutely independent of thought. There's no there's no sense. I don't know if you. Charlotte, if you felt this way, but there was no sense that I felt like this is a this is a, a guy basically dictating to a woman what to do or anything like that. Anything that might have made it uh, an uncomfortable situation. No, like um, I would say, the vast majority of the interactions, you don't really say no to no. You say I don't <laughs> think that's a good idea, and <laughs> yeah. like that. That's also very realistic because you can't stop somebody from doing something when they're in a different city no. or different country <laughs> like what could he do even, yeah. if, even yeah. if he wants I forbid to... you yeah uh, well, he never yeah. tries that he no. did say that uh, in one of oh, my playthroughs okay. to her and in a scenario yeah right. she just kind of laughed at him <laughs> which was reasonable yeah. but i mean when we talk about that his reasoning for doing that it felt like it came on a little bit strong but also she was doing something that sounded very stupid at the time yeah so, for sure, I, they're, and then they're neither of them fallible. That's the thing. They're both they're both yeah characters with foibles. They're mm. not they're not superhumans either of them. They're both smart and and seemingly nice, not wildly irritating as our YouTube correspondent yeah. said to my mind. But I do not feel perfect. Slightly, um, I don't know what the the right way to describe it is. I feel like I've had the sort of the wind taken out of my sails a little bit by this most recent playthrough because it's it started off with a nice sort of back and forth between them. And they did have more jokes and there were bits where mm. I think there's this very early scene that probably happens to everybody before you even really make any decisions where Noah makes, um, she makes a spelling mistake and it's something funny. She says flip flop instead of flippant or something and draws attention to it and they laugh yep. about it. And it then yep. happened about three more times over the course of the next couple of days. A but, running gag. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like again, I must have done something wrong. Like, I think just maybe <laughs> just giving off bad vibes, like her, her kind of attempts at being light and at being humorous and referring to herself as, oh, I'm in Turkey. I should go down to the beach. It'll be beautiful. And my responses were always kind of quite serious of you need to Are take you sure care of yourself. Got time? Yeah, you need to look yeah, after yeah. yourself. You need to make yeah, sure you're not yeah, putting yourself yeah. in any danger. And I think mm. kind of a combination of that and also possibly what I said before about misreading exactly what emojis are supposed to mean because there's a lot of points where you get the choice between three emojis yeah and in true. my mind it's like they're all the same when to be honest it's a bit like um la noir that <laughs> it's, sort it's of, the old yeah. truth doubt and lie like i don't know what i'm yeah i even i had that yeah and i do use yeah. emojis she comes out with something <laughs> terrible like talking about something awful that's going on and your responses are a choice <laughs> of either the emoji like with his hands on either side of his cheeks like gasping yeah. one where like both eyes and the mouth are just little vertical lines and then yeah. the third one where the eyes are crosses and i look at that i'm mm. like are they three significantly different things aren't they all kind of just like a a, a shock 
emojis yeah, sending like an, it back. And it, it, well, it did yeah. make me think, are some of these actually, you know, showing that I'm being angry or sarcastic or something instead of just this sense of quiet resignation that I think my, my Madge wanted to have to almost everything that happened. And yeah. like I said before, there were some points where things got a little bit more serious. And I mean, there are points where this, this in my head is a very, like a mass effect thing of we're going to give you some dialogue options and you can pick them, but they're not always going to be exactly what you think they are. Like some of the things that you get to choose that he says will be like the same for the first line, but then he'll add a little bit more context to it. And there were some points there where I looked at a choice between two different options and I clicked on each one to see what like the full actual outcome of it was. Um, and then very quickly went back. And there was a bit where I think where she first gets to, um, I think it's Istanbul and she gets dropped off in an area that is apparently very full of tourists and refugees. And, um, Madge is supposed to be in my mind saying something to her, like you really don't want to still be on the streets when it's nighttime because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people here, uh, don't have anywhere to go and it could be dangerous. And I said an option that sounded like it was going to be just that. I think it was, it was literally just, you want to, you want to find somewhere to stay. And it, it wrote that. And then the second line was, you know, a lot of the African refugees are horrible criminals. And I was like, oh, um, no, I'm, I'm deleting yeah. that. That is not what I wanted to say. You know, I didn't want to lead it down that tone. Um, that's not who I thought this guy was was being at this no, point in time. That's interesting. I mean, it, again, it may be, uh, it may be a, a real exchange from somebody that, yeah, it did, doesn't seem to quite fit Madge's character. But, um, yeah. yeah, genuine concerns. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, if it's specified... Uh, the African people that doesn't seem yeah doesn't I mean it right certainly did and then almost as a as a sort of a kick in his gut the next morning a group of people that she meets to travel to the border with includes a man from Nigeria who ends up being uh you know quite a, a good sort of pillar of support to her along the way maybe it was simply a way of the writers showing that you know yes e e even those people who are subject to some of these situations that most mm. of us privileged people aren't are still also not immune to having their own prejudices. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean that's that's probably fair and maybe there's mm. you know, maybe there's more truth in what he's saying that's not, you know, just an out and outright sort of racist statement. You know, maybe there is more desperation among certain groups of people. I mean, they've come from further and they, they very specifically mention this Nigerian guy that I think she meets very soon afterwards. Um it's stated that it's taken him three years to get from Nigeria to Turkey. And he's mm. planning on trying to also get to Germany or France. It's taken Noor like 48 hours at this point, yes. even with her mishaps. Like they have started from very different positions of privilege. And yeah. the, the even, even sort of more twisting the knife thing was that he potentially would have said this to her at this point in the playthrough. Four days later, she's stealing from somebody whose only real thing that they've done is, is offered her a ride. So, you know. <laughs> Mm. Where, where's the where's the sort of the line that you draw here um mm. i yeah I, it it really found a lot of points of confliction in you know in my sort of mental thoughts of am i doing and saying the right thing i mean is it is it just an adventure game thing where you can't know that making choices that seem like they're all going to be decent and good yeah. actually t obviously turn out to be the wrong ones i mean i had 
just again the same sort of situation I had in my most recent playthrough and one of the ones from last year that I remember where again Nor is with this this um uh, Nigerian man and another I think it's a, a Syrian woman or a Turkish woman and her quite young child I think he's said to be 10 or 12 and a baby and they're going through a forest at night time and they get split up and she basically asks Madge you know should I try and catch up with the Nigerian guy or should I stay with this mother and her children and I remember when I did this previously the obvious choice seems to be we'll stay with the mother and the children to offer them support which I'm not sure how much longer it takes before that situation goes badly, but I think that that is, for Noor, that ends up being the bad choice, where she ends up mm. getting in more trouble. If you chase ahead and you ditch the, the woman and the baby and the child to go off and find the Nigerian guy, uh, arguably they get out of it fairly unscathed, where that might have been one of the points where this, the game basically ended on my previous playthrough, where they all get caught and chucked into a camp in... I think it's Serbia at that point. It's Turkey Bulgaria, or I think. Mm. Mm. I will say, I do think, yeah, there is an element of that in that there were points where I thought this actually reminds me of a pre-LucasArts sort of Sierra uh, 80s adventure where, yes, you've you've made the wrong choice with the best of intentions and your reward is instant death. And not mm. only that, uh, or instant failure at least, not only that, but you then you can't even reload a save from the previous screen. You effectively have to mm. restart your entire. Which again, I think from a video game point of view, it won't be right for some people, and it will be too much. And maybe you, there's an argument that this is this game is, as David Cage famously said about Heavy Rain, you should only play it through once, and that's your canonical playthrough, uh, and that's the story you get, and you live with your mistakes, um, and. Yeah, in, in my case, that would have meant my first playthrough, my entire history with this game would have been about an hour long and ended in tragedy. Uh, so I am glad that, that I went back to it, both for my own mm. you know, fulfillment and the sake of the show. But yes, uh, as, as a game, there are, there are issues. But what I'm interested in here, we can go into it, is rather than it, the game just being, as I assumed it was, just a series of branching, you know, a simple spreadsheet basically a a, a a huge bunch of branching paths of course it it fundamentally does come back to that but actually there's a bit more to it going on in mm. the background as uh, as we hear from the developers contrary to lots of other interactive fiction your choices in bury me my love really have an impact on the story this is for us a very efficient way to render the complex situations migrants are in and the weight their choices often have our three core mechanics aim at reflecting this reality Time and money. The voyage from Syria to Europe does not have a predefined length. It might be done in a few days only, but also can take months, sometimes years. The app will make sure to keep track of time and signal every new day as if it were the beginning of a new chapter. Nor may report a temporary closed border. She may complain that someone she was supposed to meet is nowhere to be seen. She might be cheated by a smuggler. In those cases, what would the best advice be? Should she wait and wait again or change her mind and rethink her plans? With every passing day, the risk of going bankrupt grows. With the roads, Noor leaves Homs with an ideal itinerary on her mind, but things quickly become complicated. Soon after her departure, she begins to hear lots of rumours on the ground. Hearsay that is often contradictory. She is going to have to improvise and seek possible ways to continue her trip once she reaches a destination. 
Should you advise her to do so, nor am I eavesdrop for precious knowledge, new means of transportation, places where, according to rumours, a trustworthy smuggler might be found. Reacting to Noor's reports, Majd will then automatically post maps of new possible destinations in the discussion thread, thus allowing the couple to make the best next decision available. So Noor's variables. Noor will obviously be affected by the events that are happening to her on the road, but this process will also work the other way around. She may or may not be able or be forced to perform some actions depending on her state of mind at a specific time. Noor's profile will be determined by four different variables. Her morale, her relationship level with, Maj with Majd, her budget, and the presence or absence of specific objects in her inventory. So what fascinating about this is, firstly, that speaks to John's situation where he feels like he might not have managed the relationship as well. Um, but also the fact that you have a budget and an inventory, but you can't actually look at it. You occasionally get an update from Noor by asking her, uh, but you, there's, it's not an option that's always there. Like you can't just like every other game say, you can't even text her at any time to say, Noor, what do you have on you now? How much money do you have? Do you have a flashlight and a battery and a spare set of clothes? Like, you know what she starts out with. She starts out with a passport, a visa, a ticket to Turkey, 2,700 euros, which she says makes her feel rich because it's Syrian dollars, 621,000, uh, a phone charger, an extra battery, some deodorant, some food. And I can't remember if she has some spare shoes at that point. But yes, the basics uh, on all in a backpack as you'd hope and expect but yeah it's I, it surprised and impressed me and it probably is probably what made the game more complicated to make rather than it just being a simple choose your own adventure click here to take the left door click here to take the right door yeah you've actually got these uh, elements underlying yeah though on the other hand i'm not 100 percent sure it's as simple as those four elements because in my last playthrough I found that I ran out of money and yet I could still get pretty far through relying on oh, the kindness okay. or the sometimes wow. um, ulterior motive backed kindness of strangers mm. to get pretty far without much money. Um, well I guess that's all baked into the potential scenarios isn't it yeah. if you've if you've overspent early on and there are many options to do that uh the game still allows you to which i mean how many millions of people must have been in that situation trying to get from place to place by bargaining bartering offering services all kinds of things that you probably don't want to talk or think about mm. um i uh, i was fearful of that from the off with nur um and and my, my in in my two games so far uh i didn't run out of money and uh, the first one i didn't have time because i died nor died uh but the second one um i was yeah by the time i decided to uh try to settle we'll come back to this i still had like 1300 euro on me and even that was starting to become a concern actually yeah. it gives me more confidence in the game's robustness if you were able to proceed like uh, they must know based on all the variables what's the earliest point Noor can run out of cash like if you just went on a <laughs> you you took every expensive option in the first few days of the game like th so that it must be because it must be linked to the geography wh where the scenarios that allow you to try to get through without um 
money. So I'm interested. What what were some of those scenarios that allowed you to try to continue without money, and and what were your successes, and what was the yeah what was the price you had to pay if not euro? So for for me, I can't remember where this started, but basically at one point I was out of money and I could hitchhike with a trucker. Yeah. And I got pretty far. I got into Austria, but then he put his hand on my leg, and I right. and sure. I keep saying I because I identified yeah. so much with the character. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, she just jumped out of the cab right away because she didn't want to ride with mm. that creep anymore. But then that yeah. meant she had to find a way to get from Austria to Germany. But she managed to get from I can't remember the starting country, but she went past two borders hitchhiking. Mm. So that's not too bad. Yeah, um, I, I mean, again, I mean, I, I'm guessing that is entirely authentic to, to a lot of people's experience. But what what's um, interesting about this playthrough is that it was a very odd playthrough in that I got to Bulgaria. Like, basically, I had the playthrough where in the forest I stuck with the family and got caught. And mm. I got sent to a camp and they made me sign some papers and they took my fingerprints and basically Noah actually said to Majd, oh, what's the, the family-friendly word? Oh, rubbish. I think I've just claimed asylum in Bulgaria and that means that <laughs> I have to be an right. asylum seeker in Bulgaria. But she tries yeah. anyway. She decides to um, go ahead to another country and try her luck as an undocumented person for potentially oh, okay. the next year. Wow. And... She ended up getting to Germany and going to a police station and getting sent back to Bulgaria. And that mm. was absolutely heartbreaking because it was like, just just on a, a really cold game playing level, 40 minutes of the game meant nothing because I got from Bulgaria to Germany and I got sent straight back. But can you just imagine being in that situation where she got where she wanted to and then she got bounced straight back to Bulgaria, which apparently is is a really bad place to claim asylum they don't treat asylum seekers very well according to this game i think i had the same experience with that i don't think that she ever got as far as germany but i remember getting booked into that camp in bulgaria and then at some point later on being sent back i might have got um a, as far as hungary or somewhere like that and then got sent back but yeah it's it's like none of the outcomes seem particularly good even the ones that you've mentioned as being kind of good endings are all it's all relative. With, yeah, I mean, it's all fraught yeah. as anything. Presumably, every ending yeah. finishes off with Madge still in Syria, uh, presumably hoping to go and catch up with her at some point in the fairly yeah, near future. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah, I certainly uh, I couldn't find a resource which listed all the endings or had the audio for all of them, and almost I didn't kind of want to do that anyway, A, because it would be actually probably quite unpleasant, and B uh because it didn't feel right i'd quite like to you know go back to the game and and try again at some point um leon um i have a question for you how did um noah in one of your playthroughs end up um pa like passing away because I, mm. I, I i i hesitate to say i tried to get that ending but i wanted to see <laughs> a very <laughs> twisted person I, I wanted to see a bad ending and yeah, yeah, yeah. the bulgaria one was absolutely heartbreaking but i i i she seemed very, you know, resilient. Like, yeah, um, no, this. I'm well, glad I'll tell that you've you asked that question because I kind of wanted to ask, but also didn't really <laughs> want to have to. Oh, ask. okay. Well, I was definitely going to come back to it um, because I also want to talk through some of the the events in in my second, more successful scenario. So, yeah, the first time I played was uh, Thursday, I think, earlier this week. 
and uh, set out, you know, obviously was trepidatious and um, I was expecting difficult scenarios. Um, but uh, yeah, I wasn't, I, I knew, I knew this, this ending must be in there uh, because I know that it is the tragic end of so many people mm. in the real world who have, you know, been, been in this scenario. Um, yeah, ended up in, uh, in Izmir, in Turkey, uh, ended up in a terrible, probably mafia owned hotel with, uh, with guys actually, you know, breaking into a room and stuff, not actually assaulting her, just being weird and creepy and threatening. Um, yet, you know, she still, Noor still, uh, found the time to, uh, you know, spend the daytime relatively pleasantly, um, I can't remember exactly what the series of events that took me to the, the basically the wrong boat, the wrong smuggler, the wrong hotel. Um, but yeah, just lack of <laughs> lack of knowledge or experience of the subject matter, I suppose, just making bad life choices, um, you know, which is stark, stark and eye opening. Ended up with a, a child's life jacket, which I think is what she ends up with either way, actually, whether you buy it um, from the market or from the boat, she ends up with a a finding nomo um copy non copyright infringing i couldn't actually tell if that was because they make a joke about her not buying a uh, a fake life jacket because obviously that there are you know imagine i mean imagine being the kind of people who are willing to sell non efficient life jackets to desperate people uh, purely for profit like they're probably desperate as well for money but you know there's somebody somewhere making money off that and i did wonder if her finding nomo uh, life jacket was merely for the game um to suggest that uh so as not to you know not to uh, annoy disney but or whether it was actually the idea that she'd actually bought uh, one of the fake life jackets um but yes she ended up on the beach and uh at night uh the weather had cleared enough but there were too many people on the boat and um, yeah, you basically, she sends you her coordinates and a help message. You call the coast guard. Um, but yeah, uh, it doesn't happen off the coast of Lesbos um, and you get, yeah, the first, uh, so the first voicemail I heard, the first time I heard Noor's voice was her dying basically and declaring her love for uh, Majd as as she goes under effectively yeah i wanted to shout out there's different voice actor for different languages of the game um if you're playing in english it's chloe hollings who is actually uh, one of the actors for overwatch she plays one of the characters in that game she's not british but she sort of has a a, a, a british english type accent for for noor in this game in that version um but i her, i thought her performances um the ones i've heard obviously uh were sensational actually like incredibly powerful um the good one the good one and the bad one oh, i don't know what we did differently but i had this exact same lead up to that situation i remember the hotel i remember the finding nomo life jacket i mm. i also yeah, i kind of assumed that that was more uh, a nod towards the fact that it was some piece of junk knockoff thing because they also mentioned in that playthrough either way like yeah. there was some sort of jokey things going on between them and they mentioned burger king and starbucks i remember yes. those two names coming up so yeah there's a few brand names yeah mentioned, they actually. don't seem like they're super 
you know averse to making it feel mm. real um but yeah i don't know i don't know exactly what what you did differently from me but that situation mm. ended up with nor being one of the people who survived the the yeah. uh, this uh, boat sinking in that playthrough oh, okay and for i ended me, up getting to greece i don't think i got very much yeah. further from that point mm. for me um I ended up on the boat with 50 people instead of the one with 40, but everybody yeah. survived because I brought anti-sickness medication with me and I managed oh. to calm people down by feeding them this uh, anti-sickness syrup. I and took it... seasickness stuff and it didn't okay. help. <laughs> so hmm. I think this is really interesting because it shows how many more variables there are than I would have expected. Uh, I even I even sort of at the last minute said, you know, don't get on that boat. And she just said, but there's nowhere else to go now. I'm here. And, the, you know, and there are these guys there with guns and, you know, she's under pressure basically to, uh, you know, so you just, she would just, you know, cross her fingers and, and hope. I mentioned this earlier, but the, the one point in this where Madge kind of actually got angry and sort of demanding with her for me. And I did feel that it was, less inappropriate than it initially sounds to say that mm -hmm. was during the uh, there's a point where you get to uh i think it's in belgrade and they're marching towards the border with either hungary or croatia and she gets to i think she gets to belgrade finds a load of people there who are being she says we're being escorted by the police there's hundreds of people we're all marching towards i think they're going to hungary specifically and it, she says it's going to be a long, hard walk for multiple days just along this road to get to the border. And then, yes, you know, they've yeah. got to let us through the border into Hungary. And mm. at, at some point along the way, people split off. And I think a load of people start going towards Croatia, which is supposed to be closer and easier to get to. And right. you can, at this point, I think you can sort of uh, change Noor's mind about what she wants to do. She yes. sort of talks about the fact that she wants to also go to Croatia, but isn't sure, wants to continue. And Madge is a bit kind of wishy-washy about it in my my playthrough. He was kind of just telling her, you know, you were so determined about this a couple of days ago. You need to you need to decide what you want to do. And, you know, maybe mm. taking the easy option out isn't the best way. So in the game that I played, she continued for another day or so. And then I think mm. there's another point where the march splits off and they say we're, you know, there's almost nobody here now. We've lost all of the the people that she refers to as being kind of the the ones that the, the Hungarians were going to be sympathetic to. She says, you know, lots of the elderly people and the children and the women yeah, have left. Right. And she kind of alludes to the fact that it's it's degraded into mostly her and a group of quite angry shouting men. And she also mentions, I think, that she's been groped a number of times by by people in this group. And she's kind of losing her her mind against it. And a few more people split off and try to make it to the Croatian border. And she sends Madge a message that says, oh, it's fine. You know, we found a map that shows multiple places where the border's not got a fence. It's not, not, by, um, yes. not got a boundary. It's not got any guards or anything. That's We're right. going to go for this border crossing. And he, at this point, I think is oblivious. They kind of get there. She starts sending him more messages. And he says at this point, um, is this the map that you've got? And he sends her yeah. a picture and she yeah, says, I had yes. this scenario. Yeah. yeah. And his response to that is, you know, that the red points on here aren't, you know, they're not like safe zones. These are, there's a reason they're on minefields, yeah. yeah, like there exactly. are landmines here. You can't go across here. You will end up killing yourself. 
And this was the point where I expected, I don't know why, maybe it was, you know, I thought their relationship was different. Maybe I thought, you know, just had a different um, different reading in the situation. But I thought he was going to send her this message saying, you can't do this. This is a minefield you're about to walk into. I thought I was going to get a response saying, oh, crap, we didn't realize that. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. And her yeah. response just comes through and it's just like, I know, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're yeah. going to do this. We have to do this. And that was the point where he got angry and said, I demand you don't do this. You know, I forbid That's you from right. doing this. Yes. No, I did get that as well, mm. which, you know, I mean, I think in that scenario, I'd almost say. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not something I'd normally say to a partner, but. Mm, it's not an unreasonable <laughs> thing to try feel unreasonable to, to me get somebody when, to back down. When it's out of that. love. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It comes from a good place. And I think this was, this was also the point where. I mean, I'm looking at this thing now, talking about the fact that morale and relationship and budget and mm. stuff are, are all these variables. I think yeah. the the walk along this road for three or four days with what sounded like an increasingly um, unpleasant group of people, yes, uh, yeah. sounded like that really beat um, beat Noor down in that uh, in those last couple of days. And at the the same point, you know, they've almost started arguing here with her forbidding him. Uh, trying to forbid her from doing what she thinks is the best idea. And we hadn't really had very much conversation about budget. It didn't really come up very much during this, mm. this run. Uh, I mm -hmm. feel like she started off with saying she had lots of money and then there were various problems. She buys a plane ticket and then isn't allowed on the plane. So then yeah, she has to yeah. buy another plane ticket to go to another place. And the taxi at the beginning screws her over. So she has to spend money on another taxi and then more buses and things than she expects. And it wasn't ever really mentioned. There were a couple of points very early on where she's talking about going to hotels and she'll go to the one that's slightly more expensive and she'll get something nice to eat. And it's, you know, she makes the point a few times of saying, oh, it's, it's you know, dirt cheap compared to how it was last time we were here. This hotel that we're going to now yeah. used to be so much more expensive. And I think the implication is this city has now been bombed to pieces and, you know, yeah. nobody wants to stay here. So the hotels have jack their prices into the ground um and it, it never really came up that much since but when you then get this situation where just after the section with the minefield which i don't know if nor can actually die there if, if there is ever a, a she didn't for point. me so i don't know whether maybe yeah there might be very if if her whatever is below a certain yeah whatever. or if like maybe other people in their group can get injured or something i it didn't happen in the the playthrough i had no she it just said, oh, it's, it's all twice. fine. We all got through okay. fine. Seems but, like you just get through. Yeah, maybe it's just a, yeah. you know, a, a thing to put you on edge as the player. Certainly works. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So then after that, she gets in this car with this Italian woman uh, driving yes. down to yeah. some port city in, in Croatia. And this is the point where she opportunistically steals this woman's documents That's from right. her. Sounds like we had a lot of the same, uh, yeah, same path Yeah, it this kind way. of ended up there. And at that point, when Madge is asking her what, what she actually stole from this woman, one of the things she mentions is two fifty euro notes. And she said, yeah. and Madge, at this point, my Madge was saying to her, you really need to give these documents back to her. This, this wasn't the correct yeah. thing to do. And if you don't actually give them back to her, you need to take them to the police station. Yep, same. Um, yep. And Noor's response to that is, or for me, was I'll take the passport to the police station and drop it off with them. But... I'm keeping this money. I yeah, need to stay same. in a nice hotel and have a hot shower. With I guess yeah. with the implication that she has no more money at that point. So I don't, I don't mm. know where I still it had, went. I know I still had, or I know Noor still had money at this point, which was why I was I was slightly surprised. But again, I could 
as much as I didn't approve, I could understand, I could empathize with the opportunistic situation. Um, but equally, yeah, it didn't. I mean, it's just this is where it is hard to know, to understand what it might feel like. She'd, you know, I think my Noor had been on the road, been traveling, trying to get to where she wanted to go for best part of a month at this point. Oh, jeez. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, and uh, had spent half her money or whatever. So mm. I could certainly, you know, I, I wouldn't want to completely take the moral high ground. Yes, you know, it's a bad thing to do. But again, having never been in such a situation, it's very hard to just, you know, completely condemn. Hmm. Uh, we've got a little bit of feedback from Alex, who sits uh, a bit lukewarm on this game. But uh, we <clears throat> welcome his feedback as always, nonetheless. I bought this on Switch for pennies a while back, but quickly realised it wasn't getting played. So I recently stumped up three quid for the mobile version. What can I say about the game, really? Well, I don't think it's a game. It's a piece of interactive fiction. Semantics, Alex, don't worry about it. I would even go so far as to put it in the visual novel genre. And as a story, it was OK. It didn't blow me away. To be honest, the subject matter is something I consider myself relatively well read on, having worked with refugee families many times over the years. So it wasn't the eye opener that it perhaps could have been in different hands. But I found the story fairly interesting and did feel the pang of worry whenever Noor took her time to reply. I understand there are multiple endings, but I doubt I'll play it through again, at least not for a while. But I felt like I got a satisfactory beginning, middle and end. To summarise, while I don't think this particular game was especially groundbreaking in terms of narrative, I did enjoy the delivery and most liken it to the Lifeline games, which I personally enjoyed a lot more. I'm definitely interested in more games like this, though. It's definitely a cool way to tell a story. So yeah, it's actually, uh, I was sort of jumping around, but yes, it was, uh, in case we didn't make it clear earlier, it's actually set in March 2016 when Noor leaves. A little bit of background on that from uh, the game. Bombs have been falling for years on Homs, Syria, tearing the city to pieces and spreading death. So when her younger sister is added to the list of casualties, Noor can't take it anymore. She decides to leave for Europe with hopes of a better life. Her husband, Majd, can't come with her. He recently lost his father too, but his mother and grandfather are still alive. If he goes, they won't be able to make it without him. So together, Noor and Majd prepare her trip as well as possible. They study the maps, make a list of items she could use, gather their meagre savings and buy two smartphones to keep in touch. They're both frightened and restless. And one morning, Noor hops on a truck with her backpack on her shoulder. Before she leaves, Majd hugs her like never before, kisses her on the forehead and whispers a Syrian farewell saying, bury me, my love. Uh, and this was something I wanted to touch upon, as I mentioned earlier, from the Eurogamer review by, by uh, Vicky Blake. It's a curious thing. On one hand, Bury Me expertly retells the harrowing plight real refugees face every day, unravelling this story via warm, relatable characters so that it truly, if only briefly, puts us in the shoes of those directly affected by conflict. On the other, it gamifies this heartbreaking experience, wrapping it up in a game with 19 different endings, tempting you to undertake multiple replays. I don't know why this troubles me so. While the refugee experience has undoubtedly been hijacked by some politicians to demonise desperate people in devastating need, Bury Me, My Love reminds us that each one of the faces our 24 news channel pans over is someone's child, someone loved, a real person. They sacrificed so much to get here, made tough decisions and left loved ones behind. 
I know delivering a one-time only gaming experience with no chance to replay or explore alternate routes is itself problematic, not to mention grossly anti-consumer. But to offer multiple endings, which each require a full replay incidentally, as there's no opportunity to save scum, it makes me uneasy, I guess. After all, the real-life Noors that sit at the heart of this story don't get a chance for a do-over. Why should we? I mean, on that exact point, I think it's probably a good thing that they haven't got an opportunity to rewind to previous decisions or go back to previous places. Um, mm. it, it, that would make it feel cheaper. And, you know, what, what Vicky says here about gamifying this situation. Yeah. I, she yeah. has a point, but I'm also... I'm not miles away from the point that Alex made about this is potentially the least gameplay I've had in something that I would actually call a game. Like, I mean, this is, this is less mechanics than you would get in, in a walking simulator or a, you know, a visual novel even like, I mean, this is, this is just having a load of text message conversations. I mean, you could, you could present this, you know, as a sort of an art piece in a museum. I mean, I've, I've had, it's similar interactive experiences, although obviously, you know, to a much lesser degree in museums, you know, asking sort of simple gamified type quizzes about, you know, one that I remember specifically was like, should we reintroduce wolves into the Scottish Highlands or something like that? And it was kind of a similar thing where it was like a series of make one of two or three choices and see how this, this micro story plays out. So um, it, I think what it, the the line that I fall down on is it doesn't really matter whether or not this is a game. It's it's a thing that you can that you can interact with and that you can experience. And it doesn't having it play as a game doesn't detract from the the weight of the real world situation. I don't think that you could play something like this and not be forced to think of you know, this isn't just a game. This is a very realistic scenario for lots of people that are happening. So I think it it, it fulfills the um the intention that it's it's setting out to achieve here in this in this way. I don't think it's being gratuitous or uh making light of the situation at all. Although you know, there's an interesting comment that you're about to read that might uh ex- mm. you know go into this a little bit more. But uh, yeah. I, I certainly don't think that it's, it, you know, it's in any way disrespectful to people in this position. No, no. I think, um, well, as we've said, the com- the next comment um, shows a different perspective. And we, speaking for myself, I don't want to say anything that invalidates what I said in that comment. Sure. Um, mm. I think for me, the ability to replay, like, as I've said I feel like Noah's experience is less about Noah as a very specific character, but that Noah could be any person in that situation. So the fact that it's kind of like a game in the sense that I can replay it to experience different pathways is actually pretty important because it gives me a window into a lot more experiences and how diverse the refugee experience can be. So yeah. there's there's so many layers of complexity that you get through playing it multiple times. I think that this sort of game mm. level of being able to start afresh and try something new is important to learn more about the yeah. noise of the world. Yeah, that's that's really good point. It's interesting the the, the replay concept, um, but yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. And yes, as as the reviewer says, from a from a they're selling you know 
the end of the day they are selling a thing uh, a product uh, albeit only for a few quid um but yes uh, they would have to state very clearly on the packaging as it were the digital packaging you only get to play this once and if you drown in one hour off the coast of lesbos it's still going to erase your save or whatever you know so there is no there is no do over um and yeah i think that could actually potentially leave people coming away bitter about the experience and therefore bitter about the intent of the game and that would be a shame as well so um so yeah really the only hardship of the replay player is having to potentially sit through a number of the same scenes again with the text going to and fro even if you kind of ramp up the pace we've already been through a a decent number i think of the potential scenarios just organically through conversation but yeah i just wanted to go through sort of my 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 last game my so far canonical game uh, and i'm keeping it as such because it didn't end in absolute tragedy um some of these scenarios charlotte or john you may have come across if there's any others you want to interject feel free uh, I ended up in uh, getting the bus to Aleppo early on in my second play as the taxi driver didn't appear. I think that's right. Uh, ended up being a doctor um, as uh, as an al- uh, either an Alnus or an ISIS uh, bomb of some kind. Something something nasty and explosive goes off. There was supposed to be a truce, uh, but twelve are dead, one injured, and. Uh, so Noor had to perform a leg amputation in in her first day of trying to seek refugee else uh, refuge elsewhere, um, and uh, she'd only ever done arm amputations before, so needed some internet help from the squeamish Majd. Uh, then ended up, I think this that that was pretty much like a whole day or two uh, stuck in Aleppo. Uh, ended up taking a four by four to I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Gaziantep in Turkey? Uh, or there was the option to uh, fly to Istanbul, actually, which is actually uh, the one the option I took in return for a, f- a free flight with somebody, uh, but more dangerous, helping out at a refugee camp. Um, Turkey was already hosting three million refugees at this point. See, they don't all come here <laughs> like some British people would like to pretend. Um, we ended up on the uh, the boat going from Izmir to Lesbos again, but somehow I think I'd managed to take different options, different choices. I was really, really, I can't tell you how anxious I was at this point, um, just thinking it was going to end up in exactly the same tragic way as my first go. Uh, I made a couple of different choices, including buying a life jacket on the boat, uh, and I bought a flashlight instead of seasickness stuff um, and made it. But with the tragic story that uh, Noor felt she had crushed or suffocated a child because they were so tightly packed into the boat um, and she tried to help the child but uh, but couldn't. So, yeah, grim stories along the way. Then to Athens, uh, no entry to Macedonia due to 10,000 people stuck at the shut border. Other options being Italy uh, via sea. But uh, in Athens, um, being stalked by some local neo-Nazis, the Golden Dawn, of course, oh, yeah. um, con- considered a legitimate party in uh, in that country, of course. But this uh, footage from a Golden Dawn member very openly just punching a woman in the face. I think it's on Greek news from mm. a handful of years ago. So, yeah, charming group of people. Mm. Yep. Yes. And 
recording on the day when the uh, British Union of Fascists flag has been uh, waved in Trafalgar Square, which is uh, the particular branch of fascists that were active pro-Hitler during the Second World War, which is excellent. Uh, by this time, I was down, Noor was down to under 1,400 euro uh, when she was followed by those three men who uh, intimidated, but uh, thankfully didn't get a hold of her. Uh, she ended up dropping her phone, um, which led to an inordinately long gap without contact, of course, which was horrendous. Uh, and you've even you've even got this um, like a selfie of these neo-Nazis on the screen at the time. So you just you assume that it's the worst. Madge pretty much says, you know, that was the worst night of my life so far kind of thing. Um, she ends up with a new phone with a cracked screen. That's OK. Uh, in Patras, in, on the 13th of March, witnessed a truck deliberately reversing over a refugee. Uh, the option of a smuggler for uh, €2,000, which obviously she couldn't afford, not being an option even with haggling. Majd at this point offers to sell his mum's jewellery for money. Um, so this is, I guess, a case... This was a sort of interesting relationship, not power struggle dynamic, but a point of pride for Noor that she'd saved. They'd collectively saved their money. They'd got what money they could together while leaving Madge still there. And Madge was now offering, well, Madge's, Madge's mum is offering to sell jewellery to, to wire her some money. She's at this uh, Idomeni camp, um, but Noor's, Dignity and pride and care for her mother-in-law, I suppose, uh, means that she doesn't want to take him up on that offer. Um, this <laughs> On the 17th of March, uh, this is where we ended up on the protest march to Hungary. Uh, Noor actually thinks it's funny at this stage to kid around on text that she's lost all her money. Oh, good. Yeah, which... I had this interaction as well. <laughs> yeah. I was genuinely like, what? No, you can't. Mm. that is not funny no um i feel like that was the beginning of the point where their relationship and her morale started to break down in in the most recent run i had yeah i don't know i sort of interpreted it as you know you you make inappropriate jokes sometimes with your uh, significant you do yes your significant other but then sometimes they just don't land (laughs) i mean that one definitely didn't if having a laugh is your you know your coping mechanism after seeing a truck yes. run down a refugee intentionally and yeah. potentially having crushed a child in a in a packed smuggling boat, you know, yeah. maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. It, it just, yes. And, and again, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very much a believer in humour being uh, important at, at many times. But, um, but yeah, that one just seemed like Madge was just like, no. Uh, it felt a bit bit ill-judged from Noor, but as you say, yeah, like, who can say? Um, ended up at the border where, where things were heated on the 21st of March with uh, rocks being thrown and tear gas. Uh, I believe I sort of told Noor to run out of there, and, and I think she did on that occasion. Then the minefields at the border of Croatia uh, survived despite the panic. Hold on, you got uh, to the Hungarian border and then turned back and went back to the... Croatian minefield border. Uh, I guess so, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't remember exactly. I've, I've made some notes. Well, actually, mo- I did realise I've made more notes for this this game, this uh, short little game than I'd made for any game for months and months. Um, then, uh, yes, then the ferry incident with the Italian ladies' docks and, and my former friend Kelly getting arrested. Hard to judge her for nicking the documents from me when I'd done exactly that from the person who owned them, but there it was. Stowed on the ferry on a roof of an RV. Did anyone else do that? Uh, yeah. You yeah. Know this playthrough is very similar to my first playthrough. Right, mm. okay. See if we ended up in the yeah, same place. You've, you've kind of started off doing part of one of my previous playthroughs and met up with my my most recent one. So you've kind of got ah, half see. and half of two of my playthroughs so far. Although at this point, mm. yeah, I mine stopped at the ferry where... No, got arrested uh, trying yeah. to get on with the stolen document. So at this point, I'm I'm gone. Mm. And pretty much, uh, so we're at the 25th of March now, and my game ended up on the 27th after an enormous amount of attempting to get over the border. Um, so you start in Ancona, Italy, and you're trying to get to is it Monton in France, and. Uh, I tried hiking through the mountains, mm. going around the coast. Um, at this point, Noor became incredibly demoralized, ended up bat at Ven- uh, back at Ventimiglia four times. Uh, and eventually that was it. That was enough. Um, she says, Germany, France, Sweden, England, Italy. What's the difference? No one wants us. And so she applies for asylum in Italy. And it ends with a relatively positive, upbeat message. She asks um, before the voicemail she asks Majd if he will join um there is a second option actually i took the of course i will because italy's a pretty cool country you know i'm I'm pretty happy with that as somewhere to go uh peacetime for uh 75 years or whatever it is and um i don't know what happens with the relationship if you say actually i don't really want to go to italy <laughs> i was planning on germany i don't um, know I, I tested this out with a oh, different good. playthrough and nice. You don't exactly say no. What, what you kind of say is maybe things will get better in Syria and then I can stay in Syria and maybe you can come back. Wow. It's kind of, at least that was what happened on my playthrough. Maybe they weren't negative enough, you know. Maybe if mm. you had a really negative relationship by that point, Majd would say, sorry, I'm not coming. I've had enough of you. Wow. <laughs> the idea of asking her to go back to Syria or even suggesting <laughs> that she might go back to Syria after that is depressing. I mean, if, if things, I, th- I think the, the the interpretation I had was that he's hoping that things will get better and then sure. they can go back home, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, I've only been to Italy once in my life and in a particular part of it, obviously, so I haven't seen loads of it, but uh, I was thinking, given the options, if, if, if this was me right now and I was given the option of Homs in Syria uh, or uh, somewhere in Italy, Ventimiglia, wherever, um you could probably move around once you've, I assume once you've got a, a citizenship, um, I would take the latter option and, um, yeah, learn, learn, learn Italian and take it from there. I mean, I think, I think the issue is, yes, if you have European citizenship, oh, Brexit talk coming up here, if you yeah, have yeah, European yeah. citizenship, you can bounce around as much as you want. But if you're on a temporary visa, then you can't. And, and Noah yeah, was very yeah. concerned about being able to get a, a job that was, I don't know if she wanted to definitely be a doctor, but she wanted to have some sort of job that was commensurate with what she was doing in Syria. And that gets back to my point of like, you know, Germany, 
because of the way qualification recognition goes on in Germany, I'm not entirely sure that original plan would have worked very well anyway. You know, that's interesting, and that's so. your 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 extra insight that um, your real life has given you. So yeah, I wouldn't have a clue about. You know, we have uh, my partner and I, and and I know John has as well. You know, thought about relocating in recent years due to the uh, situations here. Obviously, not nearly as uh, threatening for us as. Uh, what was going on for uh, what is going on for people in Syria, but I haven't got as far as looking into the the practicalities and realities. But you know, I understand that it's complicated. Certainly, I would say to Noor right now, uh, the the real Noor's my my understanding is like I understand why people still see um, the UK as a very desirable option, but given the uh, the EU situation, I would go for the eu like because that leaves you with so many more options um is it the the schengen territories where you've got free movement so um because basically i'm in the situation right now where i'm trying to get citizenship while i can get dual citizenship before that window closes at the end of the year and if i don't manage it i'll get permanent residency and Mm. the only tangible difference between the two in germany is that if i have german citizenship i have eu citizenship by extension and then i can move around the eu 27 as much as i want without restriction and work there right whereas if i have permanent residency i would have to go through the visa i i I believe it's complicated but i I think (laughs) there's a chance i would have to go through the visa application process in other countries and if i came back to germany at any point my visa would have reset and I'd have to apply for a short-term visa again. So that's right. kind of the difference. Like having an EU passport just opens up the ability to bounce around. Whereas if you're on a visa, they, they can restrict, like in Germany, they can, if you're on a short-term visa, they can restrict whether you can be self-employed, who you work for. Mm. It's, 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 it's a pain in the bum, basically. Yeah, I gather that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, and and it may be even more. I don't know. It, given a refugee situation coming from Syria, I don't know if it's more complicated, more restrictive, possibly. Oh yeah, yeah I mean, I would um, if probably. I think in any country, if you're an asylum seeker, you have extreme restrictions placed on you at the beginning. It's not just a, a UK or a US or whatever no, sure. um, situation. And I'm just guessing that it would be a bit of a nightmare for Noah to to get a qualifications recognised, uh, but you do have to go through this qualification recognition process. Even if you're from the UK, say you want to practice as a lawyer in Germany, you have yeah. to go through that process. And it's like, she seems to have assumed she can just go to Germany and become a doctor. And it's like... Mm. It's going to be tough, but maybe she's she's she knows it's tough. Like she obviously knows yeah. this, the entire thing is tough. Yeah. So yeah, probably that stuff, paperwork and <laughs> things, and and yeah, uh, getting your head around forms and systems and admin and red tape probably seems like a relative trifle after you've literally dodged bombs and survived drownings and things like that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think it's it's very hard to you know compare the situations at all. I mean, in that case. Is she not just wanting to escape from, you know, where her sister was blown up down the street six months previous? Sure. I mean, my sort of semi-assumption about half of the endings of this is you're going to end up effectively as an illegal immigrant in some of these countries. And then I don't know what happens if if you make it to Germany completely under the radar. I mean, do you just kind of hang around for a number of years and then eventually you can claim some sort of like I've been here for such a long period of time? Yeah. 
I don't know. I was wondering is uh, of the 19 endings, that was the only thing I did kind of want to know is like, is there a, you've won the game scenario? Like, is there a, the 19th ending or the first ending is the one where you get to Germany, they welcome you with open arms, you become a doctor, Majd moves there, you have a family, you live there forever, happily ever after. Like, that would seem to be. Seems unlike. At odds with the game. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, yeah kind of, I, I thought yeah. I assumed every ending would be somewhat bittersweet or without absolute closure. So that's why I was pretty happy with, albeit frustrated and stuck in the wrong country mm. to end up mm. in Italy. Obviously, it's not my life. It's it's just a it's just a text adventure game for me. But but it seemed like a it seemed like a relatively happy ending compared to what I'd already seen as an alternative. Mm. Yeah, she sounds relieved on the voicemail. Like she does mention, you know, I'm worried yes. because I'm not going to get a, a a well paid job in Italy. But she sounds audibly just glad it's over. God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, that's all we can do. So yeah, this uh, unlike uh, this next correspondent. Now, I don't normally do this either, but I'm really glad I found this. Looking at Steam's user reviews, obviously we only have the posters. Uh, words to go on, but uh, I'm going to absolutely take them uh, as genuine, as did the developer of the game. So this is from Steam Review, uh, not recommended by AboD11 on Steam, who'd played the game for over three hours, suggesting that they had absolutely gone through it and by the sounds of it, done really well at it, possibly because (laughs) they they were armed with uh, all the knowledge um 17th of january 2019 this was written as a syrian guy this game tells nothing of the real suffering of syrian refugees in fact it's trying to let people think that syrian refugees had an amazing full of fun adventure running away from their afflicted home everything in this game seems to go as planned everything seems easy to do and have zero consequences people in syria took months trying to run away from the war facing the worst ever things that could happen to any human being On the other side, our girl here seems to have hotel rooms to stay in, a lot of clothes to cover her from the cold, a lot of people to help, a lot of food and so many cars to pick them up. They somehow made running away from your country look like an incredible journey, which it is absolutely not. I purchased this game expecting to see a visual novel that supports the Syrian cause, but I found nothing but an insult to every Syrian or Muslim person. The developers said this game is inspired by real people and events And here I tell you, it is not. It looks like a 12-year-old kid imagining how asylum could be and wanting to write a story about that with zero knowledge about the real suffering. Strong stuff, Mm. but demonstrably untrue in the sense that it absolutely was made by adults and in full consultation and collaboration with genuine Syrian refugees. Um, We're going to hear from... The Pixel Hunt. I'm going to su- suggest it's uh, it's Florent again. Um, but I also, yeah, it seems to me that I think maybe the guy just played through the game and obviously you're starting from almost, almost from a relative point of privilege as mm-hmm. this couple have three jobs between them. He's a history teacher and a shop worker. She's a doctor so she doesn't exactly start out with millions of pounds. They, I mean, they scraped together nearly three thousand euros, which is potentially a lot more money than a lot of the refugees that you, you ever hear about. Exa- exactly. Yeah. I mean, even the the, the yeah. Syrian ones. Not to mention, 
um, the refugees that are mentioned in this game coming from places in Africa who literally have nothing yeah. uh, apart yeah. from the clothes on their back. And it, it, it's kind of true. The game does start off with no, she's got nice clothes, she's got a phone, she's got lots of money, she's got actual plans. You know, she manages to make it as far in two days as this guy who's mentioned from Africa has managed in in years of being yeah. sort of bounced back to places and kept in camps and having to work to earn enough money to get on a bus to get to the next village. Um, yeah. And it, it, she does talk about staying in hotels and she has got clothing and she has got a phone and flashlights and never seems to go hungry or cold or anything. I mean, in all of the messages that I had back and forwards, it did seem like it generally felt like she was falling into kind of lucky positions. Like she tended to end most days in a place where, you know, she had somewhere to sleep. There was never any mention of the fact that she was sleeping on the streets or, you know, slumming it in the middle of a forest. She was always staying mm. somewhere or had found another family of refugees in a, in a mm. sort of a little Syria area in Istanbul or wherever they were, who were, who were happy to take them in and, you know, she... That's really interesting. One of the situ one of the things about her is she she talks about herself as um, uh, being shy at one point, and then uh, and managed to sort of rebukes that idea, saying you're you're the least shy person I know. Mm. And one of the things I've often thought about being in a situation like this, because as we said earlier, you know who knows what could happen to any of us. One of the issues I would have is like a ma on, on a massive uh, a massively uh, more dramatic level the 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 old cliche about men not asking for directions right not not wanting to go up to strangers and let them know that you don't know where you are or you don't know what you're doing like that would be a massive problem for me like just being putting myself in that situation now i'm sure needs must and it's not that i won't ever talk to a stranger but it concerns me that i would not have the nous and the the kind of the chutzpah to go around just finding things out and then doing them. Noor is is clearly somebody who can do that. She has English and probably Arabic as well. Maybe some, maybe uh, I think she t speaks a little bit of some other languages as well. So she's got she's got loads of um, sort of uh, weapons in her arsenal, so to speak, in terms of being uh, confident and gregarious. Even if she thinks she's not, she's incredibly capable. And a lot of people who are who find themselves in this situation just won't be as adept at, mm. or, or as intelligent as her. I think that that is a, a reasonable um, a criticism to throw out the game that she does start off from a, a better position than a lot of people are, and you know, let's see what the the developers' response to it is about yeah. the. Um, yeah, yeah. What this guy this is tremendous uh, that they came back, obviously uh, monitoring the feedback to the game, as you'd hope. Uh, Pixel Hunt said, hello, Aberdeen 11, the game developers here. First of all, thank you for your interest in our game. I imagine that being very familiar with the situation, this might have been challenging for you to play it. Bury Me, My Love's scenario and events are directly derived from real life testimonies by dozens of people. And indeed, some of them were moments of joy or hope or moments when migrants did not want to disclose the full truth or their, of their situations to their loved ones. So depending on your choices, you may experience a playthrough of the game that would go fairly smoothly with bumps in the road still, but no huge catastrophe, as some refugees have indeed experienced. That being said, I encourage you to replay the game and try different choices to access different routes, because, of course, very unpleasant things can happen to Noor too. 
I don't want to make a list here, but moments in Zatari, Aleppo or Nizip, border crossings in Turkey or Greece, the long stretch of time waiting in Idomeni or the desperate moment in Calais aren't exactly incredible journey moments. And out of the game's 19 different endings, I would say at least a good third can be qualified as very bad, if not worse. What I would like to put forward, though, is that our main influence for writing Bury Me, My Love is the story of a young Syrian woman named Dana, or Dana. Dana agreed to be our editorial advisor on the game, gave a lot of advice and input from her own experience and read through every line of script. And some of her family members who experienced the same journey did that too. And I can say that they found the story faithful to what they experienced. Not only the bad parts, but also the tone. This way of trying to put positive things first, because you don't want to frighten or worry the ones you love too much. This will to live and love first and foremost. I'm sorry this did not feel right for you, and there's nothing I can do to change that, as each player comes to the game with their own background and sensitivity. But I can assure you, it is true to real refugees' experiences, and that it's something that really, really mattered for us. Yeah, uh, and I think there's there's like obviously uh, the the game reviewer Abadi Eleven's experience. They found the game difficult and painful and inaccurate to their experience. No one's gonna take that away or deny it. Uh, but I think yeah, the, the the developer couldn't have answered answered it better, or yeah, or made the game in a in a better way. Really, I mean, yes, they could have always spoken to more refugees and added more scenarios, more grim ones. It's, Maybe it's already. But, it feels miserable as hell playing this at various points throughout it. We've mentioned for, a lot of them. for us, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I can't imagine wanting to interact with this if it was worse than what I actually got out of it. You know, if it was more dark and horrible and just filled with waiting and depressing situations. I mean, it was one of the highlights. But you know, the actual positive things was hearing the phone go off having that sort of oh, oh, heart sinking moment of, oh, please don't yeah. be bad news. Please don't be bad news. And it mm. being nor saying actually something went well and was successful. If just, if everything had been bad and if every decision had been a wrong one and every outcome had have been more negativity piled on top of it, I would have, don't think I could have continued to, to interact with it any more than I did. It's all, it's already difficult enough to be forced mm. to confront the choices that you're forced to confront here. Mm. I I kind of appreciated that they went for more of a a sort of... Like, Nora Majd was sort of what you would maybe class as sort of like a middle-class couple. Yeah. And mm. her experience being a refugee is something that a lot of people wouldn't instantly think of. Like, people unfairly assume that refugees must start out as having always had nothing and that's yes, just not yeah. the case and Absolutely. i feel like showing that perspective was really um valuable and it's not one that we think of enough and so it i, I feel like it was important for that for uh, that to be in the game personally she's got a phone and a job why is she leaving goodness sake <laughs> man up get on with it yeah that is the attitude of some extraordinarily um people who would not cope with uh, actual situations of, of the nature that, that they've had in Syria uh, at all, I suspect. Uh, one piece of further reading, actually it's further watching, I wanted to mention 
uh, because uh, I was lucky enough to see this at the cinema after a uh, former Sound of Play guest and composer for the soundtrack, Nanita Desai, uh, mentioned it. Um, For Summer is the film. Uh, it got five stars pretty much everywhere. The Guardian, Daily Telegraph, Total Film, Little White Lies, The FT, The Independent Metro, The Times, Evening Standard, Time Out, RTE, Cineview, The List and Film News. Uh, it's an extraordinary documentary uh, set in uh, Aleppo and uh, I just just watch it. You know, it really helped me understand a lot about this, the situation, the reality of the situation in the same way that this game can never absolutely, of course, never really uh, make you feel what the situation is like. Um, it all helps, I think, uh, make the situation real. If you can stomach it, it's uh, it's an extraordinary watch. And yeah, with an astonishing soundtrack as well. Uh, For Summer, F-O-R-S-A-M-A. And on uh, in the UK, it's available on Channel 4. It's on the All 4 player, probably with a lot of adverts, which is a bit of a shame because that will interrupt mm. it and, and damage the intensity. But it but it's there. You can watch it for free. We had a couple of uh, really nice three-word reviews for Bury Me, My Love. Charlotte? Uh, Pecan Pie says, unanswered text anxiety. And uh, Porg of Prophecy says, human empathy activator. Well done. Thank you, folks. Yeah, I, the main thing I wanted to say about Bury Me, My Love, uh, as well as just what another fantastic example from a, you know, just from a Kane and Rince video game podcast point of view, another great example that, yes, it's, uh, I, I understand the arguments that it's not a gamey game. Uh, it's uh, the interactivity is quite limited. Uh, sometimes it's literally just pressing a button to send an already kind of pre-filled text uh, but it is a branching story, so it's as interactive, really, as those old, uh, you know, fighting fantasy adventure books, which were more interactive than all previous books. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I also wanted to say, yes, so uh, a, a game we covered previously, uh, This War of Mine, was added at some point in the last uh, year or two to the Polish school reading list. And while still taking on board the feedback uh, from the fellow who'd been through uh, seeking asylum from Syria himself, I would I think it would be absolutely brilliant if Bury Me, My Love was added to the school curriculum uh, in well, across Europe, really anywhere where anywhere where refugees might turn up and want to be. Um, I can only think that it would be an aid to. Uh, as as the developer intended to cancelling out just some of the othering and the alienation and the xenophobia that is goes around too much of the narrative, the discourse regarding human beings trying to avoid being shot and blown up by going somewhere else where, yes, there is lots of room, there are lots of jobs, there is plenty of money, and these are a relatively small number of people. Um, be a human being about it but yeah the game is intense like heart-wrenching at points um funny at others occasionally um it feels desperate but it also and, and it feels sad but it also feels hopeful at times um and yeah even if even if for some reason you don't manage to you don't connect with the whole 
the kind of themes of the game and the actual scenario it there's even value in it i think as a as a kind of um an interactive experiment around holding a relationship over whatsapp <laughs> as, as a lot of us do a lot of the time these days so that there's 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 a lot of stuff going on here but yes um i understand the game's a bit glitchy and buggy it's probably not played at its best on um on switch but it still worked for me and uh and i think yeah i think if you can play it on a mobile for three quid you should you should probably do so um a really worthwhile experience i think charlotte so yeah, this this game's just really hard to talk about without sort of like dancing around my words because it's such an emotive experience and you don't want to talk about somebody else's horrible experience and sort of devalidate what happened to them. So for example, with that uh, that re- that Steam review, um I th- I think it just suffices to say that this is a really important game to play because of what's going on in the world right now. And the most valuable part of it is that it um, stops you from othering people who are just in a very human situation and just doing the best that they can. Um, This, like I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast, this could happen to anybody. And, you know, I I personally just can't understand people who can't see things that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's some sort of cognitive dissonance thing where they have that's how they cope with the world, some of them, by yeah. just othering people. Yeah. But I, I just can't get on board with that. And I think it's a valuable tool to stop people from, from doing that. So um, it's a very moving, very important game to play. And I would definitely recommend playing through it a few times just to sort of get a broad range of different experiences that come out of, you know, as, as, there's just one starting point and it can go in so many different directions as a lot of asylum seekers journeys can do so mm. yeah definitely pick it up it's uh pretty um <laughs> it's pretty uh what's the word affordable affordable exactly so mm. there's not really much of an excuse For most. and yep yeah and just you know give it a few runs through and take it in brilliant and let's finish with john Oh, at the risk of not having anything original to say beyond what you've said and what has already been said in the last couple of hours. Um, yeah, the only thing that I can really say about this is it's it's the sort of experience that people, I think, don't don't appreciate the uh, quite the weight of the, of some of these situations. And it's you know, it's I don't think unfair to say that the vast majority of the people who are going to hear this. And the vast majority of the people who either have played this game or will play this game are doing so from positions of, you know, far more privilege than basically anybody that any of the characters that are mentioned during the game. Um, and, you know, it's it's just a, a, a basic sort of human empathy level of of saying that you might not think about this. You might not ever really need to think about this. And, you know, it's it's very easy to sit there and and listen to the extremely loud voices that are saying that it doesn't matter and that we either just shouldn't care at all or, you know, we should be treating uh, refugees and asylum seekers as some sort of threat to our way of life, which is just bafflingly uh, incorrect and, uh, frankly, an evil thing to to think and say. So I think, you know, if, you, if you're ever, 
in a position where you're kind of on the fence about something like this or you it just doesn't really register as being a thing in your head you know, there's an extremely low barrier of entry to playing this like everybody who hears this is going to have a phone that they can play this on um and a couple of extra pounds to spend on it and if if you haven't at least tried it out and spent your hour and a half two hours just going through the storyline once it's very well worth doing it both from you know i think the the people who made this should be supported and i'd I'd like to see further similar sort of projects from them whether that's in the you know in the um uh, in the medium of of being interactive games or being sort of films or artwork or literature you know i think they've they've clearly got something that they can you know they can expand on here and i i would very much uh appreciate them being supported to to continue with the work that they've already done so yeah if if you haven't tried it definitely give it a go brilliant so just remains for me leon to thank charlotte john our editor jay all of you correspondents and to you for listening next time in issue 435 we're going to be talking about halo 5 guardians <laughs>